All right. All right. Hello, family. Come on in. Come on in and make yourselves comfortable in this space. I want to welcome you, all of you, to this space, right? It's a gathering place for dreamers and visionaries, for entrepreneurs, for creatives, for anomalies, and those individuals with water walker potential. Listen, I am so excited that you're here. And can I just... um begin by saying that your presence tonight is not accidental in the least. Rather, God in his infinite wisdom and providence has allowed our paths to cross in this think big space. And it's a space to challenge us to think bigger in God. So before we begin tonight, like I do every week, uh, we want to take a moment and ask that you like and comment and share this broadcast we want tonight's broadcast to get to as many people as possible. And the simple act of liking or commenting or even sharing the broadcast on your own page could change the very trajectory of someone else's life. And I know we're able to do it. So can I get a few of you, if you can, to go ahead and like and share uh, and maybe even uh, comment on our Think Big page. I know you can do it. and It's going to be a wonderful time tonight. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and let us know in the chat where you are uh, viewing from, it's always exciting to me to learn the very scope of our audiences. I mean, so far we have found people who are from one coast to the next coast, and I'm very excited about how our viewership continues to increase month after month. And so I'm also encouraging many of you as, as, as possible to use that comment section to be witnesses to what God is saying to all of us this evening. What a wonderful time for us to be witnesses to the very, very powerful and life-changing and transformative word of God. So similar to last month, I want to answer the question that's often asked of me. What is Think Big? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are three things that I think uh, uh, encompass um, uh, the Think Big idea. And so the Think Big revival is a virtual space that's designed for the very full, conscious, and active participation of all kingdom-minded people, young and old, powerful and powerless, newcomers and lifelong worshipers. It's through the Think Big that we are led beyond ourselves to give ourselves away for ministry and ministry to the needs of our local community and the world. Uh, one of the hallmarks of the Think Big is its potential to mine the very riches, riches of scripture for deeper encounters with the message of the gospel. And that's where, of course, the true purpose and destiny in him can be found. I'm excited. Uh, about all of those challenges that we have tonight. Are you up for the challenge tonight? If so, come on in the chat. Can somebody just write, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to be challenged to think bigger in God tonight. Come on, a few of you, just write that in the chat. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'm ready. So here we go, everybody. Have you ever um, um, been told, don't worry about it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're often admonished or encouraged with these words. We know perhaps instinctively that worry and faith do not coexist, nor do they belong together. Nevertheless, Homiletics Magazine warns that these four words, don't worry about it, are in combination with each other, possibly the most useless words in the English language. And that's a, a like sort of startling statement to make, isn't it? Um, that Startling statement to make because, particularly in a magazine that purports to help preachers with material to prepare for sermons. But the magazine contends that this advice is useless 
because watch this, y'all. It is routinely ignored. All of us probably have our personal list of things that we worry about. Lord knows if you watch the news and listen to people talk around you, you'll soon be convinced that there is a danger lurking around every corner and you are just one short but inevitable step away from catastrophe. I guess if you want to get people's attention, you give them something to worry about. But if you're like I mean, anything like me, worrying only makes you anxious. Yeah, you know, I never liked uh, being anxious but once I found out what the root of that word was, I never wanted to be anxious again. Watch this, y'all. Did you know that the etymology of the word anxious is from the Latin word that really means to choke or to strangle, to choke or to strangle? Yes, that's right. If you are anxious or worried, it will choke the very life out of you. Wow. Yeah, and I love that because uh, that 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 idea because there, these four words don't worry about it can either choke or strangle you, or they can actually bring life. What do you what do you say, Jason, about it bringing life? How do I know that it can bring life because of a very small yet insignificant or significant piece of writing that divides the prophet Isaiah's uh, writing between chapters forty two and forty three. Listen, Abraham Heschel says it this way that the message of second Isaiah is of no age. It is prophecy tempered with human tears, mixed with a joy that heals all scars, clearing the way for understanding the future in spite of the presence. And I don't know who's listening to this tonight, but what we are dealing with in this moment is not just for this moment, but it's for a future event. Hallelujah. So no words uh, have ever gone further in offering comfort when the sick world cries. I love that. I love that. So listen, in Isaiah 42, the situation in which the Jewish people find themselves is neither robust nor is it secure. But a large segment of the population now dwells as captives and as exiles. They are faced with devastation, distress, uh, and even death. The temple is destroyed and Jerusalem is certainly in ruins and their liberty is lost. My gosh, I'm thinking to myself, what would you say? What would you write or even sing about um, under those kind of conditions? And yet, Isaiah challenges the people as much as I'm challenging you uh, to remember that in spite of how uh, things seem or how matters may be present in your life, to keep the faith, not to give up, but to stand on God's promises. And listen here, I want to end it by saying this, everybody, that that message about keeping God's promises is not insignificant. Are you listening? It's more than just a touch a neighbor and say my victory is on the way panacea for the present pain. In Isaiah 42, we learn that Israel's situation is the result of their own refusal to obey God's law. And can I tell you, but the message in chapter 43 is one of renewed hope. Watch this, y'all. The reason for this renewed hope in Isaiah chapter 43 is that God is in covenant with us. But notice, y'all, that I said covenant, not contract. Ah, can I say that again? Covenant, not contract. So what are you saying, Jason? A contract can be nullified if one party breaks the agreed, uh, agreed upon terms. But a covenant is God's way of saying that no matter what, I'm going to be with you. Yeah. Ah, I love that. God is in covenant with us. 
Are there witnesses that know that God is in covenant with us? And we know this because in spite of Israel and maybe even our own stubbornness or our own stubborn refusal to obey God's law, Isaiah chapter 43 begins, watch this, y'all, with these hopeful words. It says, but now. Mm, do you see that? The very beginning of chapter 43, it starts, but now, in spite of what happened or took place before this moment, God, just like the division between chapter 42 and 43, starts a new chapter. Anybody excited that God is giving all of us a chance to start over, all of us a chance to have a but now experience? Yeah, God bless all of you. Yes, God is about to do something because regardless of how we behave or responded, we don't have to worry about it because God keeps his word. Oh my goodness. I wish I had witnesses right there that God keeps his word. Can I tell you, our guest tonight knows something about a covenant keeping God. Huh? I'm excited about having her here. Would you help me welcome all the way to the platform, all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, the Reverend Dr. Karen Stewart. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> he is a covenant keeping God. Yes, that was a mighty word you had to say oh, wow. just right then. <laughs> I love it. But now, but now, and I, I know that you are not here accidentally and that you are here and what you shall share with us will really give us a, a, a wonderful reminder that God is still doing something. God is still active. God and so welcome to this space. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation and I am excited yeah. to be here today. I'm excited. I'm excited because I, I, I have gotten to know you and your husband, uh, mm -hmm. Pastor Warren Stewart. Um, when I was in Arizona and, and teaching at Arizona State University and your church was so such a mighty church for uh, not only me, but also for our students. And so for me to watch you preach and to watch you uh, to deliver God's word gets me really, really excited because I know that we are all in store for what's going to happen tonight. So listen, everybody, mm -hmm. before we go on, if you could go ahead and hit that like and hit that share because we want people to hear the word of God tonight and be challenged. I hope you have your notebooks ready, as we always do, so we can write down these nuggets that ha happened tonight. And I'm not going to read an extensive bio. You can see at the very bottom of the screen where uh, Pastor Karen's uh, Twitter and uh, her information for her um, uh, and her church page is there, and you can go over there. But in this space, we get a chance to get to know our speakers by asking them three questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those three questions. That ain't even right, but go ahead. On. I love it because we have this thing we provide as a way for us to, to, to get under the hood with our own faith formation, how we identify as people of God. And even my church, and people know I say all the time that we are trying not to be church people, but to be kingdom people. And so through this, this, this moment, Hopefully, many of us will be pushed to think differently. And because we're going to think uh, bigger, we're going to think better. So here yeah. we go. Yeah. Let's, let's go to the first question tonight. All right. So here it is. The first question says, what is essential and timeless in your own faith journey? Or what has been essential and timeless in your own faith journey? It might seem like, uh, and that is a fabulous question. It yeah. might seem like my answer is trite, but it is true. And what has been essential and timeless um, in my faith journey is relationships, relationship with God and relationships with others and a realization that sometimes relationships are seasonal. We sometimes think that I'm going to be in relationship with you forever and it might not be the case. And we all I would get broken because I would think 
but they were my friend. And now we're not, we don't talk as much. We're not as uh, in a relationship as much as we were before. And the Lord had to keep reminding me, baby, there are some times that that relationship was for that season. And now mm-hmm. as they move on and you move on, doesn't mean that you are no longer in relationship, but your relationship looks different. And wow. so um, the only relationship that I have that uh, is not seasonal on his end is my relationship with God, because God mm-hmm. is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. My, it, when it feels seasonal is because I've gotten seasonal. <laughs> wow. God's in the driver's seat and he don't never move. We sometimes slide over. I always use this as an example. We slide over in the in that seat and we're like, God, you're far away. And he's like, sugar, I ain't never moved. You moved. So wow. it's wow. relationship. Wow. There is something about the affirmation of community that every Christian needs in whatever walk of life they find themselves in. You must be in relationship. And COVID has tested this for us because relationship now looks different and we've gotten comfortable with virtual relationship. We've gotten comfortable being out of community, um, physical community. Yes, we need to adapt and create these new kinds of community, but that is not at the price of being in physical contact and relationship with one another. God didn't create us that way. God walked through the garden and had conversation in community, the same community as Adam. So if God would come down to stroll with Adam, how much more do we need to be strolling with one another? Community, relationship, that's it. I I love this. I love this. It it, it makes me think about how God does not socially distance for it. He does not social or does he physical distance? He doesn't yes. distance. No, sir. No, sir. I need that. I need that. I need that. I need to hear that. Wow, that's powerful. It's also powerful, powerful because, you know, in this big, big space, we have been talking about the differences between rituals and relationships. And there's yes. so many people who are calling yes. them rituals. And rituals can get us to relationship, but often they become a replacement to real, true relationships. So I'm glad to hear you say that that relationships have been essential and timeless. Uh, yeah. And I think that, that 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 that's a great reminder for me to to be OK with some relationships that I do need to nurture. Yes. <laughs> and maybe something I need to just go ahead and neuter and just you yes. know, be OK with with, with yes. not even uh, 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 being hung up and that things have changed. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, listen, everybody, you go ahead and like and share. That was just the first question, and it was great. Uh, wow. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, y'all go ahead and hit those love buttons and those like buttons. I see many of you commenting uh, all these great things in the chat. Thank God for you. So the second question is, what is dated uh, in our ministry thinking or maybe our ministry approaches that needs to be discarded? This comes out of the idea that there are some things in our ministry shelf life that probably have reached their, their prime, that they are crying out. Toss me kind of like that 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 chunky milk in the in the refrigerator or some things that 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 have you know there's some things that that, that literally cry cry out toss me yeah. there's some things like the toothpaste or jar jar of olives that we don't know if it's really still useful or not it might be unique but not useful so what do you think is yeah. dated and needs to be discarded yeah well some of that stuff in your refrigerator you smell it and you know it needs to go and that might be the same thing <laughs> here um I think. We have to think about how we've been doing church and how we can create a space for people to be intimate with God. This pandemic has pushed us. It has pushed us. 
And the church might not have moved had it not been for the pandemic. And now the church has to ask itself questions about members who may never return into the the household of faith in the building, right? Um, Because they've discovered that they can be all over the country and worship on a Sunday. And I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. That is just our reality. So be be clear on that. Um, So we have to figure out what then do we do with these buildings, especially since many of us hold the building as sacred and Jesus didn't die for the building. You know, so... (laughs) You know, no, no, you got to have pews. You can't have chairs. It's got to look a particular kind of way. Um, It can't be a multi-use space. And I do understand the necessity of creating a sacred space uh, for us to have intimacy with God. But what we've discovered is people are creating sacred spaces in their homes, which is all the way back to an Acts 2 church. Acts 1, Acts 2, they were having house churches. We have an altar in our house. We created and that was before the pandemic. So how can we create these sacred spaces beyond just the, the church building? Um, and the other thing is, I don't know how to, oh, I'm nervous when I get ready to say this, but younger people have just have shown us that um, they can figure out how to have a relationship with God outside of a religious experience. Oh. <laughs> and so... Um, we're thinking if we build the church, if we have church worship, they're just going to show up. And there's a couple generations that, that, you know, first the people started to stop taking their kids to church. And so you've got this entirely unchurched generation who's now saying, I don't need to have my religion or my relationship the way you did. I don't have to go down to the church house to do that. I can be in a small group and have accountability and, and everything that, the only challenge with this mindset that these younger generations have is they love the husband, but they hate the bride. And I don't know if anybody um, who's married, a husband who will say, you know what, we can be, you can be cool with me, um, even though you hate my bride. And people will say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I hate his church. Mm. There are some flaws in the church but, that have got to be fixed, but you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. So wow. it so the whole concept of church, capital C and church building and how we're creating relationship. And I know that kind of ticks back to what we were talking about before. Um, some of the way we think about it has to be discarded going forward because yeah. the pandemic push has made us think about it all very differently. Wow. Wow. That, that's powerful. I mean, I think that should be on a shirt. That should be a quotable that you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. You can't love him. You can't love him. That's deep. That's deep. Wow. Mm -mm. Wow. So listen, everybody, that was just a second question. (laughs) And she's about to (laughs) answer one more question. And and then we're going to release her to preach. Uh, So if you haven't liked and shared yet, please go ahead and like and share. Maybe text somebody, let them know that Pastor Karen is is, uh, really giving some wonderful nuggets uh, and and giving us something to think about. It's really causing us to think differently and to think bigger uh, with what we call uh, as, as being the body of Christ. And so uh, if I can get a couple of my friends who are on to go ahead and, and we want to we want to bring uh, more and more people to this space uh, so that we can um, really share the love of God and push us to think differently. <clears throat> so here's this last question here, because we started out thinking about what was essential time and something that we want to hold on to. 
But yeah. at the same time, we recognize that there's just some things that just need to be, you know, to, to be discarded. But the last question really talks about what must be created. And it says what must be created that's necessary then for us to be able to think big in God. So I don't know if it's created as much as it is recreation. Like you mm-hmm. said in that our awe of God coupled with an urgency of what is happening around us. Um, are we really in awe of who God is and what God can do? Or do we really take that for granted? Do we cheapen God's grace because we can do whatever we want, live whatever kind of way we want and all of that. And then that's why it's coupled with an urgency. If this pandemic has not shown us anything, it has shown us that life is short and death is sure. (laughs) And so there should be an urgency uh, about the gospel, about the gospel message, about who I am in God, who God has called me to be. Um, The pandemic, we always hear the negative aspects. And even with my saying the urgency and life being uh, short and death being sure, we should not overlook that in this pandemic push, that's what I call it, God has created a country and a world that is praying for everybody. Mm. That did never happen for him. <laughs> but now we're in, in a concern for my neighbor, this whole vaccine, our concerns for India. Um, we're more concerned about the world wow. than we've wow. ever been. That's God pushed. That's God constructed. That is not man's construct. Um, but we kind of don't recognize it and see where God is doing some great things to help us think kingdom minded. This whole pandemic has made us be kingdom minded. You can't be just about me, myself and mine, which some of us still are. The whole masks on masks off has a has a selfishness to it. But the majority are how what can I do? to protect my neighbor. If that ain't Mm. kingdom minded, (laughs) that's kingdom minded. So we should have an urgency and an awe, an awe of what God has done and really see God moving in what is happening in our houses, our communities, our state, our country, and our world. And recognize with everything that is happening, there is an urgency. We have to be urgent about the kingdom of God, because he's coming back. Because <laughs> he's coming back. I love, I love it. Wow. Listen, we're going to have a word of prayer and release you to just just, just speak a, a, a think big word. Uh, and so all over this broadcast, we just want to pause and pray. Father, we invite you to be in this worship with us uh, and let everything be divinely orchestrated according to your will and to your purpose. We pray that everything we do points others back to you. I pray that you would illuminate and awaken the spirit in each of us. We want Christ to be magnified in our ears and in our <clears throat> eyes and also in our hearts. I pray that as Pastor Karen uncovers the richness of your word, that we uh, we will all be convicted of sins, that the very idols of our hearts would be revealed. And even 
uh, that we would be captivated and encouraged by your loving kindness and your tender mercies. Use Pastor Karen tonight to proclaim a living word to a dying world. The power of your gospel saves unbelievers and it stirs up the affections of all of us who claim to be believers even more toward you who are the Christ. So our prayer tonight is that you would show forth your wonder in miraculous ways. And we believe it's done in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Karen, my sister, preach a mighty word. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, Again, I'm just excited to be with you all to share uh, what thus says the Lord. So if you've got your Bibles, I know you do. Get your Bibles, open them up to Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, This message arises out of Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 10, but I actually think I'm only going to read uh, right now verses 3 and 4a, a little bit of 4a. And it simply reads like this from the New International Version of Scripture. Uh, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Elizabeth Shumatoff is an artist whose famous painting is of President Franklin Roosevelt. During their first meeting, Roosevelt was astonished by her skills and immediately hired her to paint his portrait for the White House. However, Roosevelt postponed their second meeting due to his deteriorating health. She arrived at his vacation home anyway. According to Shumatoff, Roosevelt was in good spirits and agreed to go through the portrait as long as he was painting she painted him outside. As she was about to finish the painting for that day, Roosevelt slumped into his chair and lost consciousness. He died several hours later. This portrait is unfinished because Roosevelt ran out of time. There is also a sculpture of Michelangelo entitled David Apollo. It has this title because it has elements that suggest that it might be the biblical David or the mythical Apollo. It was created in 1530. However, it remains unfinished because it is said that Michelangelo abandoned the work for artistic purposes. You could say that it remains unfinished because Michelangelo ran out of vision. There's a national monument in Scotland called the Acropolis of the North, and it was constructed in 1826. It was modeled after the Acropolis in Athens, Greece to commemorate the sailors and soldiers who fought during the Napoleonic Wars. Construction started even though only one third of the funds needed to complete the work had been raised. Construction was abandoned three years later and the Acropolis of the North remains unfinished because they ran out of money. There's a small town in Burma. The king there started building the world's largest temple. The process began to deplete the state's finances. The people claimed that there was a prophecy that said that the entire kingdom would perish as soon as the temple was completed. It was to be the greatest Buddhist shrine towering over 500 feet, yet it only reached one third of its proposed height. The king became quite uneasy and abandoned the work, fearing he would die soon after it was completed. It remains unfinished because the king ran out of favor. 
all of these projects that were begun did not get finished. Let me move a little closer to home. My husband and I, when we first moved into this house that you see me seated in, had an elderly neighbor who would regularly scale the mountain behind our home. This inspired us to take the mountain on for the very first time. We took off up that mountain on a brisk morning with all of the intentions of reaching the top. About three quarters of the way to the top, the terrain changed and the amount of skill we needed to climb the mountain shifted from moderate to expert. We went from climbing the mountain to scaling the mountain as the incline became steeper. However, we could see the tip top of the mountain. But once we reached the tip, we discovered that joker was not the top. My husband continued to scale up to reach the top of the mountain. I, however, sat down in the dirt, the thistles and the thorns and I began to cry. I did not finish. I guess you could say that I ran out of steam. We all set out to finish, but sometimes time, resources, vision, favor, and or our own expectations get in the way. We start strong, but somehow, somewhere along the way, we peter out. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we forsake the initial goal and settle for something different. And we are cool with the settling. Think about what things you were going to start last year before February. And now 14 to 15 months into this pandemic, some of those ideas have been abandoned. Basically, we quit. We quit school. We quit the hustle to start our own business. We quit the quest for better health. Pandemic pounds is a real thing. Whatever it is, we just quit. This happens to us in our spiritual lives as well. We expect, accept Christ and we are on fire for God. We may not change the entire world, but I and those closest to me, y'all gonna know Jesus. We are ablaze with excitement about our newfound life in Christ and our new church home, our working in ministry, our going to Bible study, all of it. We can't get enough of it. We have passion. There is calling. We may not know where the Lord is leading us, but we know he is leading. Then it happens. Our expectations don't get met. Or we find out that people aren't what we thought they were. Or life just happens. The Christian walk that started off glittering in the sunshine is starting to tarnish from where. We find it a bit harder than we had anticipated and that people are not as receptive as we thought they would be and the culture has shifted. So where are the odd men out? And we quit. We don't leave, but we quit. We have checked out while we are still checked in. We leave the work that God has called us to here in this life unfinished. We start going through the motions and start faking it to make it. Our dreams have dried. Our callings have dried. Our passions have dried. It's why we quote this text. We ask the question, can these dry bones live? Then we answer with our own question. Lord, you know, but we answer the question with resignation and not anticipation. Then we plop down next to our desolate despair, waiting for someone to come and blow on our dry bones. We sit and wait and sit and wait and sit and wait. Won't someone come and blow some life back into our dry bones? 
One commentator writes, who has ever stood on the sideline of a graveyard of your hopes and dreams? Who has not faced a situation in which any possibility of recovery seemed to be ruled out in advance because the bones of our dreams are very dry? Well, today is your day. There is a wind in your future. God has you here right now, today, at this moment, to speak a word into your situation that is going to turn your life around. It's not over. The fat lady has not sunk. In fact, she's not even warming up. So before you go and throw up the deuces, before you tap out, before you even tip out, God's got you to know that you are not finished yet. What we learn from Ezekiel through this text is that you are not finished yet. If we're going to stretch upward, those were the, 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 the guidelines that I was giving, helping us to stretch upward and inward and outward up to God, inward to one another, outward to others. You've got to get back in the game. You've been on the sidelines too long. The last play has not been called and the clock is still running. You are not finished yet, baby. Tell yourself, I'm not finished yet. Write it in the chat. Tell everybody, I'm not finished yet. Our text is a vision received by the prophet Ezekiel about the nation of Israel. Israel is in exile because it had rebelled against God again. This arrogant posture by the nation wasn't anything new. In fact, the Old Testament is replete with this cycle. It's your, my cycle too. Rebellion, repentance, renewal, repeat. Rebellion, repentance, renewal, repeat. Finally, God has had enough and ordained their captivity by Babylon. The people thought it would be for just a little while. It was the prophet Jeremiah that urges the people to seek the welfare of their captors because they are going to be in captivity for a while. Ezekiel underscores this message. We heard about captivity earlier from Dr. Thompson. His prophetic writing moves from judgment through to Israel's promised restoration. These latter chapters from 33 to 39 are the oracles of this promise. Our text is a part of that. The Valley of Dry Bones is the scene of a major catastrophe. The vision is shaped by the circumstances of the time. Israel is defeated, destroyed, and dismembered. It lies unceremonially disinterred in the valley, but this is not to be its final fate. As we see the nation restored to a mighty army by verse 10, we learn from Ezekiel, stamina. Stamina is to run the race that is before us. Ezekiel, the priest turned prophet, had been serving in the temple in Israel and now finds himself exiled in Babylon. He is a refugee in a Babylonian nation that does not seek his good. And he is on the fringes of his own people who are listening to false prophets proclaiming a message that is not from God. They are listening to alternative facts. He is between a rock and a hard place. But Ezekiel does not quit. He doesn't drop kick his community to the curb regardless of the circumstances. And this prophetic vision from the Lord lets Ezekiel know that the condition of the people is bad. Yes, baby, it's bad. In fact, it may be worse than he had anticipated. This is why Ezekiel's work is not finished. 
It is his approach to this unfinished work that teaches us how to stay in the game. Yes, the church of Jesus Christ may not be all that it's living up to all it's called to be, but we've got to stay in this game. Ezekiel shows us that there are more tasks on God's list of items that must be done. So you're not finished yet. Let's see what kept Ezekiel in the game. Simple, simple. First, open your eyes. See God. Yeah, thought I was going to be deep. It's not. Open your eyes. See God. This is your stretch upward. It's right there in verses one and two. I hope you still have your Bibles open. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. In the face of difficult circumstances, we have to open our eyes. We must see God. If we're going to make a difference in our worship, in our praise, in our prayer life, in anything that leads us to make a difference in our communities, we must see God. The first thing that Ezekiel opened his eyes to was the presence and the power of God. Hallelujah. Ezekiel had been in the presence of God before. This was not the first time God's hand had been upon him. Ezekiel had learned to be sensitive to hearing God's voice and responding to God's hand. Ezekiel was experiencing God's presence in an intimate way. Don't skip this. We are quick to get to the desolation by skipping over the divine. Don't skip the divine. Ezekiel was not in this place alone. It was divinely directed. The hand of God was not only represents the provision of God, it also represents the presence of God. There is comfort in knowing that God is with us. Emmanuel, this is what we say at FIBC, God is with us. We are assured that God never leaves us, nor does he ever forsake us. We can never be out of God's presence. The psalmist wrote, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Let me put it to you in a way you might understand. When you walk into a church sanctuary or even on the parking lot or even in a virtual setting like this, he's there. When you get into your car, he's there. When you go to your house, he's there. When you go to your job, he's there. When you go to the grocery store, he's there. When you go to the gas station, he's there. Listen, when you go to the liquor store, he's there. In the jailhouse, he's there. In the crack house, he's there. In the courtroom, in the hospital, in the Capitol, even in the White House, he is there. We just have to open our eyes to see the power and the presence of God. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. At the same time, that's why we sing. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. The joy we share as we tarry there, no other has ever known because he is with me. He is with you. Open your eyes to the power 
and the presence of God. See God first. But not only do we need to open our eyes to see the power and presence of God, we must also open our eyes to to see God as we revisit and revision our fallen communities. Open your eyes to see God as we revisit and revision our fallen communities. Yes, you can praise and worship and lift your hands towards God. That is all well and good. We must worship God. But if you aren't ready to do something when your feet hit the ground, then you have missed the mark. The text states that God led the prophet back and forth among these bones. God will have us look again to revisit and revision the places he leads us to. He wants us to scrutinize what we are seeing. To revisit is to come again to a place where we have been before. To revision is to see it afresh and make adjustments that correct or improve. Ezekiel had been a part of this community for his entire life, but God in his wisdom takes him back over and through the bones of his community, Israel. If that don't sound like what we need to do after 14 months of a pandemic to revisit and revision our community, he wants us to see the devastation. He wants us to see the desolation. He wants us to see the deterioration. He wants us to see that the, he wants, we can no longer look away from our communities, our country, our kindred, or our churches. Sometimes we get so stuck in how we do things that we don't see the flaws, the failures, and some of the things that need to have finality. We must look again. God is transporting us for this bird's eye view, but this isn't just a tour. It's a fact finding mission with the expectation that something else is coming. Remember, you're not finished yet. He is helping us to realize that it is not someone else's responsibility. It is our responsibility. Don't get it twisted. Being in the presence of God is a safe and secure place and worship will bring you there. However, it is not for you to sit and view. The security is to be used to minister to his people. It is easy when you're in the middle of the miraculous like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration to say, let's just stay here. But God wants us to meet the needs of the people who are vexed in the valley. You are called to look again. Revisit where you have come from and revision what you see. Open your eyes. Where Ezekiel saw his vision of the majesty of God, he also saw the desolation of the exile, exiles, their bones bleached white by the desert sun, like the site of a battlefield some months after the event. The biblical illustrator says it like this. The prophet moved about the bones reverently. God is also God to the bones as well. May the spirit of God make us reverent towards all human wrecks. The truth is, if the harvest is rotten, it is not the harvest's fault. If the harvest is rotten, it is not the harvest's fault. It is rotten because nobody picked the fruit. 
The bones may no longer be formed in God's image, but they are still God's. Be careful before you pass judgment. It all belongs to God. Trust me, it is only by God's grace that we are on God's fact-finding mission instead of being a fact to be found on the mission field. I feel like I need to say it again. It is only by God's grace that we are on God's fact-finding mission instead of being a fact to be found on the mission field. Ezekiel challenges us to open our eyes and see God. We need to see God in his power and presence. We need to see God as we revisit and revision our valley of dry bones. If you're gonna think big and stretch upward, you need to open your eyes, see God. Next, after you open your eyes and see God, you must open your ears and hear God. I know another one, deep, deep, deep. You must open your ears and hear God. This is your inward stretch about relationships and accountability and growth. Remember, you're not finished yet. And it's all right there in verse number three. Look in your Bible. Son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. It is after Ezekiel sees God and is viewing the situation from God's perspective that God poses this penetrating and probing question to him. Again, just like with our eyes seeing God first, it is the same with our ears. We must hear God first. God asks a pointed and personal question of the prophet. Can these dry bones live? The noting of the condition of the bones is significant. This dry state tells us that these bones have been out in the elements for such a long time that even the marrow buried deep within the bones have dried up. There is no life in these bones. A bone with marrow is good for something. A cook will tell you, I can make some stock, I can flavor a gravy, but a dry bone ain't good for nothing. A dog don't even want a dry bone. And God asked the question, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel is not unfamiliar with the resurrection of the dead. He knows that it is a possibility because of the resurrection of the son of the widow of Zarephath, the resurrection of the son of the Shumanite woman, and the resurrection of the man thrown in Elijah's tomb. He was no stranger to the probability of resurrection. However, none of these examples involve someone who is deceased, dismembered, and dry. These corpses had been a long time in the valley. The possibility of life seems to be non-existent. Is this not how we look at some of our communities? In the same breath as we say, God will do a new thing in you, we also say, but it won't happen because they'll never change. They seem to be dead, dismembered, and dry. Because of this state, We have no expectation that they can be anything else. We don't expect anything good to come out of these neighborhoods or these communities or these political parties. We have written them off. When we write off a community, we are really writing off the people. We have no expectation that things will ever be any different than what we're currently getting. If God were to ask some of us if the dry bones would live, our answer would be a resounding no, especially in the climate and context we currently live in. But this isn't anything new. The writing off of a community? They said the same thing about the community from which Jesus came from. Let me remind you what the Bible says. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
We need to be careful when we write off folk because they and them don't meet our expectations. Just like the Savior can come through the ghettos, and I meant to say that the ghettos of Nazareth, a president, a man, can come through the murder capital called Chicago. It is the prophet's answer to God's question that is the, intriguing to me. Most of us would have answered no and would have not given this another not, thought. He didn't say no. He also doesn't say, I don't know. Both no and I don't know have a tendency to close the responder off to God's power because of personal ignorance. The prophet instead responds, sovereign Lord, you alone know. This answer isn't the prophet taking the easy way out. Remember, after you open your eyes and see God, you must also open your ears to hear God. We must hear what God is saying, not just to us, but to everyone. God doesn't just love us. He loves everyone. God doesn't just save us. He desires to save everyone. God doesn't just redeem us. He desires to redeem everyone. I believe that the prophet, as he hears God in this question, realized that if God cannot save the dry bones of Israel, then God can't save him. These dry bones and the prophet were bound to the same fate. My husband tells FIBC all the time that his definition of faith is my best future is in God's hands. Well, that's the same definition that applies to the dry bones in our lives. Their best future is in God's hands. Maybe that's our problem. We haven't put our dry bones in God's hands. The answer of sovereign Lord, you alone know, is really surrendering to the will and the way of God. I told you, sugar, you are not finished yet. What valley of dry bones have you neglected? What valley of dry bones have you ignored? What valley of dry bones have you forsaken? What valley of dry bones have you written off? God is asking you today, son of man, daughter of man, can these dry bones live? I challenge you, open your ears and hear God. It's time to fix your faith. Give it to the Lord, sovereign Lord. That means God can do whatever, however, whenever he chooses. You alone know. Baby, you got to put that thing into God's hands. You know he's got the whole world in his hands. You know he's got you and me in his hands. You know he's got the itty bitty baby in his hands. He's got your dry bones in his hands. Open your eyes. You've got to see God stretch upward. Open your ears and hear God stretch inward. You're not finished yet. Baby, it's time to think big. Finally. Lastly, open your mouth, obey God. Yeah, I know, another big one, tough. Open your mouth, obey God, stretch outward. Verse four begins with these words. Then he said to me, prophesy to the bones. Open your mouth, obey God. Think big and stretch outward. You're not finished yet. This seems to be an impossible task when you look at it. These dry bones, God telling you, us prophesy to the bones. God is asking Ezekiel to speak to bones that are deceased, dismembered, and dried. An equivalent task would be to take a dead branch that has long been separated from a tree 
and water it expecting it to take root. It just ain't gonna happen. It seems to be a lesson in futility, like something someone asks you to do that will not result in anything except them having the ability to say, I just wanted to see if you would do it. However, this just isn't anybody that is asking. This is the sovereign and supreme living God giving Ezekiel an instruction. And there is something to be said about obedience. It is Samuel that declares to Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. It is our Lord who resolved, not my will, but thy will be done. There is something to be said about obedience. This task on the surface doesn't make much sense. However, what obedience requires is cooperation and compliance, not comprehension. This is what stands between our obedience and Ezekiel's obedience. Although God gave him an explanation about what was going to happen to the bones, Ezekiel didn't get caught up in the how. What we have heard him saying, we've heard the saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, the truth is, God said it, and that settles it. <laughs> Your level of comprehension does not impact what God says or does. There's something about obedience. Ezekiel was given an impossible task. His obedience to the impossible made the improbable probable. His obedience changed his community. If Ezekiel had tapped out on God, it would have been to the detriment of both the prophet and the people. He was sent to prophesy to. His faithfulness to God became a catalyst to revive the people. The text. And the results of it are a fitting reminder that we should not judge a situation by what it looks like. God knew that these dry bones were fit to receive a prophetic word. These deceased, dismembered, and dry bones were able to hear the word of the Lord. This is an example of the cooperation of the prophet and the divine. God commands and the prophet obeys. Come on, baby, stretch your faith. God is calling us to prophesy to the bones. Hear the word of the Lord. He will rebuild the people. He will revive the people. He will reinvigorate the people. He will resuscitate the people. But it starts with your and my obedience. Ezekiel prophesied to the bones and there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. It was like that song by the Delta Rhythm Boys who put this prophetic miracle to, to music. I'm gonna date myself, but this is really before my time. Ezekiel connected dim bones. Ezekiel connected dim bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. Dim bones, dim bones gonna rise again. Dim bones, dim bones gonna rise again. Dim bones, dim bones gonna rise again. Now hear the word of the Lord. Then them fellas in that song started to connect that body together. They say toe, foot, heel, and ankle, shin, knee, thigh, and hip, back, shoulder, neck, and head. Now hear the word of the Lord. After the bones were connected, the prophet said he looked and then tendons and flesh and skin covered them. They were again made into humanity. This is the spot where many a preacher will kill us with the reconstruction of the bodies. We get excited when we see the dead come into life and we should. 
And when those bones moved, there was a sound of an earthquake. That's all in the text. We hear the rumble and get excited about what God is doing, but don't let the noise fool you. Verse eight concludes with, but there was no breath in them. These bones were no longer dry, but they were still dead. You are not finished yet. Don't let the noise fool you. There are folks that come and go talking loud. They ain't saying nothing. Don't let the noise fool you. There's some folks that think that they are speaking on our behalf, marching in our neighborhoods, saying that they are our leaders. Don't let the noise fool you. There are some political leaders who think they know what's best for our communities, pushing legislation that undermines the work that has been done to protect the least and the left out and the last and the lost. But don't let the noise fool you until you have the Ruach Elohim, the very breath of God. It's a lot of talk and no action. Remember, you're not finished yet. Verse nine says the prophet was commanded to prophesy again, this time to the four winds so that Israel could live. So the prophet prophesied as he was commanded and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up a vast army. At the first word, they took form. At the second word, there was formation. They needed a second prophetic word. It reminds me of the blind man that was healed by Jesus. At the first touch, he saw men as trees, but at the second touch, his vision was clear. Son of man, daughter of man, you are not finished yet. There is a word in you for the nation. Open your mouth and obey God. This wasn't a magic act nor an incantation. There was no Jedi force. It was just the power of the living word of God. Now I hear you saying like Moses, what shall I say to free your people? What do you say? Speak the word. What do you pray? Pray the word. What do you preach? Preach the word. What do you prophesy? Prophesy the word. Thy word is have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. A light to my path. Thy word cuts like a two-edged sword. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word has power. The word is living. The word brings healing. The word brings deliverance. God spoke a word and the word world was created. God spoke a word and the heavens were formed. God spoke a word and creation came into being. Open your mouth and obey God. Baby, you better speak a word in your house. Speak a word on your job. Speak a word in your neighborhood. Speak a word in your community. Speak a word over yourself. Speak to your mind. Open your mouth and say something. Speak a word. Because you are not finished yet. Open your eyes. See God. See his power and his presence. See God as he calls you to revisit and revision. Open your eyes, ears, and hear God because your best future is in God's hand. Open your mouth and obey God.
Prophesy to the bones, prophesy to the wind, and don't let the noise fool you. Think big, baby, because God ain't through with you yet. God bless you. Somebody here is struggling with what God has called them to do. Somebody here is struggling because they feel as though they quit. I'm here to tell you a pandemic pause is only that a pause. It's time for you to pick up the mantle and do what God has called you to do. This is your word of confirmation and affirmation for you to do what God's called you to do. God bless you. Uh, Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Amen. That's powerful. To speak a word. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we put in the in the in the chat that maybe someone has been so moved today uh, to make a decision. And you can click on that link and just, um, I don't care if you're in Arizona, in, in, in Phoenix, uh, in Virginia or North Carolina. Uh, we just want to connect you with a, uh, with people in case you may need that connection that can continue to support you on this journey. This is powerful today. Uh, the Lord bless you, Pastor Karen. I'm telling you, that, <laughs> yeah. was, that was wonderful. You know, I, I, I had to say just one thing, though, because as you were preaching, I thought this is good. This is, this is a good thing. You know, and I kept thinking, God is certainly not finished with us yet. Uh, perhaps for a reason that was obvious to Ezekiel as he stood there in this valley you talked about. Yeah. That as he looks at this, you know, these bones, you know, he realizes that the bones were scattered, but they were not buried. Yes. 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 What, a, what an important distinction to make, a difference, right? Yes. I might have to go back and add that in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Because if the bones had been buried, it would mean that all hope was gone. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they are just scattered yeah. across the valley meant that things, as bad as they look under, yeah. I mean, in their present state, that they could function more properly under different conditions. And I think you gave us the, the, the remedy for that condition is that the conditions changed when Ezekiel spoke God's word. He was obedient in faith. He was that. obedient in yes, faith because who's going to talk to a twig and say, grow a leaf? Nobody would. <laughs> but when God says to do it, even when God told me to go back to school and I was like, Lord, I can't afford it. I can't do it. I can't. And I put it off year after year after year after year after year. God said it again. I told you to go. And I went and I was like, Lord, if you're sending me, you got to make a way. I come out debt free, got a scholarship every single semester, got a scholarship, had someone who was a a financial resource, kept writing me checks. I came out ahead, not behind. If you do what God told you to do, it's him, he'll fund it. Sis, bruh, he'll fund it. If that's what God told you to do, he'll fund it. Somebody needed to hear that. Somebody needed to hear that. Listen, thank you. Oh, listen, maybe many of you might want to be a a blessing uh, to the ministry, of course. And in our our chat, uh, there is some information about how you can partner with us um, in this wonderful uh, Think Big Revival. You can go to Giveify, 
uh, or you can even go to our cash app and just sow into the ministry. We've, we've been asking our own church members just to give ten dollars. Uh, once a month, we give ten dollars towards this thing big to continue to to make it happen. And as you see, tonight was not accidental. It was certainly powerful. And so we want to thank Pastor uh, Pastor Karen uh, and say hello to all of the members at the First Institutional <laughs> Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and to certainly to Pastor uh, Warren Stewart, who I just think the world of, and I think the world of you too. So God bless all of you. Uh, tonight, have, we have not, uh, has not been um, in vain at all. So thank you so much for this powerful word. And thank you all for giving. And if you again, if you made a decision tonight, a life-changing decision that's going to, you know, that you maybe you gave your life to Christ, maybe you decided to rededicate, or maybe you're looking for a place to connect, click on that link so we can certainly connect you. God bless all of you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining tonight's Think Big Virtual Revival. We hope that you are blessed by tonight's broadcast with Pastor Karen Stewart. And we invite you to like and follow our First AME Church Kansas City Facebook page to stay informed about future events. Technology, production, and management services for the Think Big Virtual Revival have been provided by Velf Creative Designs and Events, the one-stop shop for your graphic promotional designs, event and planning consultation, video editing and production, and program with management technology needs. Be safe and God bless.